Are you glad to be here? Well, I am glad to be here as well. I'm excited about the passage we're going to look at today. I'm starting a new series from John chapter 3. I've entitled it One-on-One with Jesus. And uh, here's the deal about this morning's sermon. Uh, you're going to start listening to me and you're going to start thinking, well, you know what, that applies too. And you're going to think of somebody that needs to hear this sermon. Or you're going to think to yourself, you know, uh, I really don't need this, so I can kind of drift, think about this afternoon, the big football game, or what's going to happen next week. No, no. This is for you, okay? This is God's Word today for you. This is one-on-one time with Jesus Christ Because all of us are in the same condition, all of us have the same problem, there is a hole in the human heart that only Jesus can fill. Many years ago, a disillusioned politician named Nicodemus met a renowned rabbi by night in a secret location. They talked deep into the evening, discussing life and death issues. Their conversation touched on snakes and wind light and darkness, heaven and hell. The conversation changed history, and the record of that conversation has been changing lives for over 2,000 years. The rabbi whom Nicodemus visited was none other than Jesus Christ, and their nocturnal conversation comprises one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, John chapter 3. Today I want to begin with verse 1 and read through verse 4. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak this great word into our heart by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, help us to understand and know there is only one way we're going to have true peace, true joy, true fulfillment. There's only one way we can go to heaven, and that is through you, Jesus. So touch our hearts, meet our needs, and challenge our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. One day, a few years ago, in Winter Park, Florida, Miss Owens heard a strange sound outside her window. When she looked out into the front yard, she saw her poplar tree disappear into the earth. There in her front yard, where there had been solid lawn, was a huge hole that was getting bigger every second. Before that sinkhole finished growing, it had swallowed Miss Owen's three-bedroom home, five neighborhood cars, the deep end of the town's municipal swimming pool, and a solid block of land. The hole was as long as a football field, and it was eight stories deep. How would you like that in your front yard, huh? Suppose you had a hole like that. And suppose you threw into that hole your house, your boat, 
your car, your golf clubs. Suppose you threw in your fine clothes and your fancy furniture, your college degree, and all of your sports trophies. Suppose you threw in your occupations and your hobbies. Suppose you threw into that hole everything you had, including your dog, but it still didn't fill the hole. You would have a picture of the human heart. There is a hole in the human soul which nothing can fill up except Jesus Christ. The French philosopher Pascal said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. St. Augustine put it this way when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our lives are restless until they find their rest in thee. I think this is the key to understanding not only Nicodemus, but also ourselves. Nicodemus was a man envied by many for his success and status. And if you just took a snapshot of Nicodemus' life, you would think, boy, this guy's got it made. I sure would like to be old Nicodemus. What was he like? Well, first of all, he was a smart man, very educated. I, I can assure you that his friends boasted of knowing him, saying, Nicodemus is brilliant. Others who listened to him teach would say, you know, I could sit at the feet of Nicodemus and listen to him teach all day long. He was a great teacher, a master teacher. Even Jesus acknowledged Nicodemus' intellectual skill. Just look at verse 10. Jesus said, you are the teacher in Israel. And in the Greek, it is very emphatic. You are the, I mean the. You're the teacher in Israel. You're the man. You're the best there is. So here was a man who had risen to prominence on an intellectual level. The entire Jewish nation called him the teacher of Israel. And even Jesus acknowledged him as Israel's teacher. Yet his heart was empty. And here's what I figured out in lo these 53 years I've been alive. You can fill your mind with all kinds of stuff and your heart still be empty. Well, not only was he educated, Nicodemus was wealthy. I don't have any record of this, but I can assume that he lived on Easy Street, that he lived in a beautiful house, that he had servants hovering all around him to do his bidding. How do we know he was wealthy? Well, we can assume it from other things mentioned about him in Scripture, but there is one verse in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 39, that just gives us an indication of his wealth. It tells us that Nicodemus brought 100 pounds of very expensive spices to the tomb of Jesus after Jesus has been crucified to embalm his body. A hundred pounds of these spices. Theologians tell us only a wealthy man could have done that. But despite his financial success, his heart was still empty. You see, money doesn't fill up the hole in our soul. 
Jesus said that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Perhaps some of you have heard about the famous meeting held in 1923 at the Edgewater Hotel in Chicago. Nine of the wealthiest men, not only in America, but on the face of the earth were there. They were there to spend time with each other, boasting about their wealth and speculating about the future and how they could make more money. Who was there? Charles Schwab, president of the largest independent steel company. Samuel Insull, president of the largest utility company. Howard Hobson, president of the largest gas company. Arthur Cutton, the great wheat speculator, was there, along with Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange. Albert Fall was a member of the president's cabinet. Leon Frazier, president of the Bank of International Settlements, was there. Jesse Livermore, the great bear on Wall Street, and Ivor Kruger, the head of the greatest monopoly. All nine of them were there, all nine the wealthiest men in the world. But history also tells us what happened to these men just a few years later. Within 25 years, listen to what happened to all nine of these men. Schwab died in bankruptcy, having to live on borrowed money for five years. Samuel Insull had died a fugitive from justice, penniless in a foreign country. Howard Hobson went insane. Cutton died abroad insolvent. Richard Whitney had spent time in Sing Sing prison. Albert Fall had been pardoned so that he could go home to die. Livermore, Kruger, and Frazier all died by suicide. In fact, Livermore went into a New York hotel, ordered a couple of drinks at the bar, then went to the cloakroom and scribbled out a note to his wife telling her he was sorry for what he was about to do, but this was the only way out. He could not go on living this way. He was an embarrassment to himself and to his family. He took a gun and shot himself in the head. What had happened? Well, his fortune of $100 million had dwindled down to just $5 million. And he couldn't live that way any longer. I doubt very seriously any of us ever make that kind of money. If you ever do, I hope that you don't forget your pastor and your church, all right? But I think we all know this. Money can never fill the hole that's in our heart. The Bible says it is possible to gain the entire world and lose your own soul. Nicodemus was very well educated. He had a whole lot of money, but he was empty on the inside. The third thing that we know about Nicodemus is that he was powerful John tells us in verse 1 that he was a ruler of the Jews. That is, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. In today's terms, we would say that he was a U.S. senator because his opinion helped shape the politics and the policies of his nation. He had a great deal of influence and a great deal of power. But it didn't help in here. He was also a religious man. 
In John 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. The Pharisees were the fundamentalists of Judaism. They were the most religious people of the day. They were very strict in all that they did. First of all, they were strict in their beliefs. Unlike some of the other religious parties of their day, the Pharisees believed the Old Testament was the Word of God. In fact, they believed it cover to cover. They lived by it. They obeyed it. They held to the important doctrines that others had discarded. For example, the Sadducees were a group in Jesus' day who no longer believed in heaven or hell or angels or the afterlife. The joke now is that's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) But the Pharisees believed in all of these things. That they were conservative and they were fundamental in their beliefs. They were also very strict in their behavior. They held to the highest standards and convictions. The very word Pharisee means separated ones, indicating their desire to be separated from the world. And so their behavior was distinct. It was different. They lived according to the Word of God. They would not break the Word of God. They were fundamental. In fact, history tells us that on the Sabbath day, they wouldn't even carry a needle and thread on their body because they might see, God forbid, a rip or a tear in material and be tempted to pull the needle and thread out and sew it up and thus work on the Sabbath day, which was forbidden by the law. So they just wouldn't carry the needle and thread around. They were strict, they were religious. You know, when we look at Nicodemus, we see an educated, wealthy, powerful, and religious man. He was one of the greatest men of his generation, respected by the entire nation. But that was all on the outside. Because on the inside, he was empty and his soul was unfulfilled. So one night... Drawn by this hunger in his heart, he secretly rendezvoused with Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was a very gracious man, well-cultured, well-mannered. He began very properly by saying some very warm and courteous things to Jesus. In fact, he called him Rabbi. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miracles that you are doing if God were not with him. So he, he was very complimentary to Jesus. Just kind of oozing out of him. Jesus, on the other hand, didn't didn't really spend time in small talk. And you got to love this about Jesus. Because Jesus cut to the very heart of the matter, which was Nicodemus' heart. You know, Jesus is like that. Jesus can see through the facade. He can see through everything that we build up around us. Jesus sees through our eyes into our heart. And he knew the problem in Nicodemus' life. And so he spoke directly to that problem. And without saying anything else, he said, Listen, dude, I tell you the truth. Here's the truth. Unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So what exactly was Jesus saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, you are educated, you are wealthy, you are powerful and religious, but your heart is empty because I can see it. And what you need more than anything else is to be born again. That is more important than anything else. 
And guys, it hasn't changed. The most important thing for you today is that you are born again. That phrase born again simply refers to being born into God's family and into eternal life by the act of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus what he says to all of us. I'm the only one who can fill that empty hole in your heart. Education can't fill it. Money can't fill it. Power and influence can't fill it. Religion can't even fill your soul. You need to fill your heart with me, Jesus says. You. You must be born again. Ladies and gentlemen, 20 long centuries have come and gone since those soft words of Jesus fell on Nicodemus's ears that night. But the need of the human heart has stayed the same. You'll never find lasting peace and satisfaction in life until you give Jesus Christ first place in your life. I know how it is. Some of us, some of us have just been too busy with other things to think seriously about Jesus Christ. You've been too busy getting an education. You've been too busy making money. You've been too busy wielding influence and power. You've been too busy just being religious and living the good life. But in the long run, listen to me, in the long run, none of those things are really going to matter. You need to become more serious about Jesus Christ than you ever have been about anything else in your life. Now, what I've said up to this point is important. Everything I've said is important, but listen to me. You've got to get that last sentence. Right now, you need to become more serious about Jesus Christ than you ever have been about anything else in your life. You must be born again. From 1979 to 1991, Bill Armstrong served as a powerful United States senator from Colorado. Some time ago, he wrote, I had always dreamed of a certain kind of success in life, making money, being elected to public office. And I had achieved all of those things at a rather early age when I discovered they were fundamentally empty. Instead of being filled and satisfied, I was feeling kind of desperate and empty. At that point, a Christian layman shared the gospel with Bill in a very direct way. And he began to realize that although he had been a church member for years, and I want you to get that, he realized that although he had been a church member for years, he wasn't really a Christian in the sense that he had ever trusted Jesus Christ for salvation and the ultimate answers to life's questions. So sitting in a dining room at the Capitol, his friend led him to pray the sinner's prayer. And he prayed and invited Jesus Christ into his heart to be his Savior. And he finally found... The secret to satisfying the human soul.
This afternoon, I hope to go home and take a little rest and wake up around 3.15, 3.20, splash some water on my face, sit down in my big chair, and watch America's team. You know who I'm talking about. The Dallas Cowboys, they're finally winning some games. Hmm. Okay, come on. All right. I knew there were unsaved people in my church, but I didn't know. I didn't know we had outright reprobates here. But anyway, they're finally winning some games. It takes me back to the day when they had a great team led by an awesome coach, Tom Landry. Tom Landry was a great guy. Let me tell you a little bit about Tom Landry's life. He discovered the same thing that Bill Armstrong discovered. You see, for many years, football and only football was his life. As a boy, he grew up in the small town of Mission, Texas. And he thought, you know, if I could ever be a part of a championship team or if I could ever be an all-district halfback, then I would have everything I want in life. Well, he accomplished those things. And for a short while, it did satisfy him, but it wore off pretty quick. And then he said, you know what? If I could just play college football. And so he did at the University of Texas. He even got to go to the Orange Bowl, but it wasn't enough. He went on to play professional football, and he thought, you know what? This must be it. This has got to be the height of a football player's ambition, but it wasn't. So he set another goal of being all pro, and he won that award. He then became a defensive coach for the New York Giants, but everything he did, every accomplishment, left him the same way after all the enthusiasm wore off. Empty. And that's when a friend invited Tom Landry to a Bible study group. And it was at that Bible study group that he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And for the very first time, he figured out what Jesus meant when Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Because the empty hole in his heart was finally filled. Really, this is the whole lesson of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. The writer of that book is a man with an empty heart, searching for meaning and fulfillment in life. And you know what? Just like you, he tried everything. Education, pleasure, materialism, hard work, philosophy. But nothing satisfied, nothing filled the hole until he discovered God. And he ended the book of Ecclesiastes by declaring, Here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So what about you? Really, what about you? I mean, maybe you've got a good education. Perhaps, perhaps you're making some money and you've got some of the good things in this life. Maybe you have a high position somewhere. Maybe somebody calls you boss. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you're a church goer and you're even plugged into the ministry of a church. But your heart is as empty as a dry 
lake bed and there is a bottomless hole in the core of your soul. Well, if you were spending some one-on-one time with Jesus, like Nicodemus did, Jesus would look right at you and say the same thing. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because that, my friend, is what you need. You must be born again. You know what? Here's the cool thing. You can be born again right now, today, this very moment. You can turn your life over to Jesus Christ right now. You can come and bow in prayer and sincerely ask God to forgive you of all of your sins. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to satisfy your soul with His love and His presence and commit to live your life every day for Him. And He will change you. From the inside out. And he will give you what you've been looking for and longing for your whole life. He's the only one. Who can bring peace. into your heart. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And perhaps you're here today and you've been looking.